Hey there, welcome to Fit and Fired Up, the podcast that's all about fueling your passion for a healthy and vibrant life. I'm your host, Katie, and I'm thrilled to be your guide on this incredible journey. Whether you're a seasoned fitness guru or just trying to dip your toes into the world of wellness, this podcast is tailor-made to you. Here at Fit and Fired Up, we believe that knowledge is the key to unlocking your true potential, and that's exactly what we're serving up. Each week, we'll dive into the ever-evolving worlds of nutrition and fitness, from debunking popular myths to exploring the latest cutting-edge research. We've got you covered. It's time to separate fact from fiction so you can make informed decision on your health journey. But you know what? It's not just about the science. We're here to have fun, too. We'll spice things up with inspiring success stories, expert interviews, and plenty of laughter along the way. So grab your favorite protein shake, your comfiest workout gear, and get ready to get fit and fired up like never before. And if you feel like you got something out of this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. Welcome to episode six. I'm excited to share this information because too many people live in a calorie deficit and don't know how to even begin to change that or what it even looks like. So if you've ever wondered what it looks like to focus on different parts of your health journey and fitness journey, then this episode is for you. I'm going to dive into each phase of your journey so you can understand there's more to nutrition, lifestyle habits, and exercise than always focusing on weight loss and burning calories. The best place to live is actually not focusing on weight loss and calories burned because this way of thinking is restrictive and too structured for most people, especially if you have vacations, kids, travel for work, and are dealing with health issues. Now, that's not to say there's a time and place to focus on a weight loss journey if that's a goal of yours, but it is to say you can't be in that phase forever. I also want to preface this by saying everyone's life looks different. So each phase looks a bit different depending on the person and the demands they have in their life and what their body actually needs. If you're not already tracking your macros, I highly recommend it so you know how much you're eating. Otherwise, you may be too inconsistent to make a big difference. We tend to actually underreport what we're actually eating anyway, and we mindlessly eat when we're bored or distracted. And there actually was a study done way, way back. I can't remember what year it was, but even nutritionists tend to underreport what they're eating, and that is their entire job. <laughs> Macro checking can be a great short term tool that can turn into very successful intuitive eating practices. So let's jump into the first phase I want to cover, which is a reverse diet. The exciting thing about a reverse diet is it's usually implemented after you've eaten in a calorie deficit or restricted calories for a long period of time. So this is actually the start of you eating more food. This can be a bit intimidating for a lot of people because there's this reflex to think weight gain is going to happen, that it's going to be fat and you're going to go in the wrong direction. Luckily, that's just not likely because the rate of increase of food is slow and it allows your body to adjust to the new volume of food and water as you increase carbs. So two quick side notes. Side note number one, with every one gram of carbohydrate ingested, there are three grams of water associated because carbohydrates essentially act as a sponge with water that is part of their chemical makeup. 
Side note number two, this is why people on keto lose weight so quickly. They flush an immense amount of water from their system, which makes it look like it's fat loss, but it's primarily going to be water. A reverse diet is necessary, in my opinion. If you have been under eating for any time over six months, to start to upregulate your metabolism as it has adapted to those low calories as its new maintenance, aka a slowed metabolism, as I'm sure you've probably heard. Luckily, a slowed metabolism isn't a broken metabolism. It is just adjusted and adapted. So the only way to make that change is to tell it that more energy is coming in so it can adjust and adapt to a higher calorie set point. It's also necessary to support your thyroid as it requires calories and carbohydrates to work optimally, as well as fuel to your brain as its primary fuel source is glucose, which is a um, smaller chemical makeup of carbohydrates. So here's an example of someone who would need to reverse diet up to a new maintenance calorie range in a very common story I hear from women. A 30-year-old woman has been eating 1,200 to 1,300 calories for years and can't lose weight anymore. So she decreases her calories more and exercises harder and more frequently. She starts to feel miserable, maybe starts to have gotten hormone issues, loss of hair, looks pale, and constantly feels bloated and exhausted. Her metabolism has downregulated to maintain at 1,200 to 1,300 calories, but her body is also giving major red flags that something is not right. Because she's exhausted and starving, she tends to binge or overconsume calories at dinner or on the weekend and goes from 1,200 calories to 2,500 calories every week. This sudden significant increase of calories is what is making her gain weight on top of the hormone dysregulation she has in her cortisol and thyroid levels. So she has three options to move forward. She can stay at her current calories while dealing with her symptoms and weight loss resistance, which is where she's miserable at. (laughs) She can decrease her calories to try and lose weight, worsening her symptoms. Or number three, she can start to slowly increase her calories by five to 20% every one to two weeks and start to increase her energy, mood, performance, and improve her symptoms. The thing with eating less food is that it accompanies less nutrients like vitamins, minerals, and fiber. So as soon as you start eating more, you'll start to feel better, have more energy, have regular bowel movements, improved mood, less digestive issues, etc. So we also see an improvement in performance because of the increased energy, focus, and sleep. And with the improved performance in your workouts, we may be able to see some body recomposition. This is when you lose inflammation and water weight and fat while you're gaining muscle. So even if your weight stays the same or even increases a little, we know it may be muscle growth and water and not fat. The amount of calories also depends on the person. So if you have a fear of eating more, you'll want to start with small jumps of around 50 calories every two weeks to mentally get used to it. And if you're okay with jumping more, then you can just try to go 100 calorie jumps through protein and carbs primarily, usually not fat, or even just one at a time. It doesn't have to be a combination of any of those. 
you'll know when you need to stop increasing calories by one of two ways. Your weight starts to creep up consistently every day or on a weekly average. More than two pounds, two to three pounds, is where you start to see a little bit too much weight gain a little bit too quickly. You feel uncomfortable and very full all day, then we can assume you're at maintenance. So again, this level is very dependent on the person. So you really have to be in tuned with your body signals. And that is hard when you have been under eating for so long and your initial thought process towards food is to just restrict and be okay with being hungry and accept the fact that you're starving. So we really want to start to listen to our hunger signals. We want to start to listen to our digestive signals. And we just want to see primarily, on average, what your weight starts to do. So this is our next phase. Everyone has a different maintenance range, and it's never just one number. Our bodies adapt on a daily basis to daily stressors, hormone changes, sleep, nutrient intake, which influences and fluctuates our daily energy requirement to sustain optimal functioning. Maintenance is where the body is the happiest. It has enough energy or calories coming in from food that has that it doesn't feel as stressed or depleted. It's nourished and it can recover easier from injury, stress, exercise, and surgery. It also needs more calories to maintain a good immune system. All of this comes from a nutrient-dense, well-balanced, whole food-based diet. The more produce, protein varieties from fish and meat, legumes, beans, grains, and starches, the better it can support every process of your body. What I tell a lot of my clients actually is if it comes from the ground, it's fair game. I don't care what it is exactly, but if it is something that is grown from the ground or from the tree, it's all fair game. So that leaves a lot of variety and potential to have lots of flexibility in what you want to add to your days. And again, if it's a little bit intimidating and scary to do that, just choose one new food item a week and then see if you like it, see how it makes you feel, and then continue to do that. So again, you have more flexibility with your food choices, ability to be more free while you're going out to eat, and can open your choices to a wider variety of foods. For example, your brain and thyroid need carbohydrates to function optimally. Your blood needs antioxidants to defend against oxidative stress and toxins. This is the most abundant and healthy you're going to feel. Ideally, you want to stay at maintenance for the length of time you are under eating. Realistically, it can be closer to six to nine months with a lot of benefits still happening, but this is a very case-by-case -case basis with any severe gut or hormone dysregulation or even mold, heavy metals, and parasite detox. If you are dealing with any of those types of things, it can actually be much longer than six to nine months, but again, it really just depends. So this is the amount of calories I like to keep clients while we're trying to optimize their health. What I see far too frequently is the need to always want to lose weight and keep pushing until you lose all of it, which cascades into a ton of issues mentally, physically, and emotionally. 
Because you keep pushing, you become harder and harder on yourself emotionally. You can't perform in your seven-day workouts. Your libido and energy is tanked, so you and your partner are struggling. Your period is either non-existent or horrendous with PMS. You spend more time sleeping and taking naps and actually living and thriving. And you continue to punish yourself if you eat more than you intended to mentally and physically. While there's nothing wrong with wanting to lose weight, there is a sense of disconnect with your desire to be skinnier and your internal health. So think of a maintenance phase as a halftime for your body in between your weight loss attempts. It allows your body to rest and come back stronger and more regulated for the next half of the game. So the next phase I want to briefly go over is a bulking phase or eating in a calorie surplus for the purpose of muscle growth and increased strength. A bulking phase looks like increasing carbs and protein for about three to six months or even longer if you can mentally keep going while pushing hard in weight training. Due to the extra calories, your body can recover better, work harder, handle more intensity and volume, and get even more nutrients in. The other benefit is that you can have even more flexibility with foods and portions and can be less overwhelming in trying to be on point. This doesn't mean you can eat like shit. (laughs) It just means you can choose from more higher calorie nutrient-dense foods like different starches, beans, legumes, and grains. All right, last phase I wanted to go over. The next phase is going to be (laughs) weight loss phase, aka cutting. This is the act of dropping calories and increasing caloric burn to create a calorie deficit to lose weight, which is obviously primarily going to be fat, ideally. For someone who is metabolically healthy, aka no disorders, diseases, hormone issues, etc., this is a relatively straightforward phase. Prioritizing nutrition adjustments first because the body doesn't adapt so quickly to nutritional changes compared to cardio. You want to save cardio for last to increase a greater or bigger energy gap once you've stalled out and you don't want to go lower with calories. Ideally, you want to start, you want to be starting as high as possible at maintenance so your first drop of calories isn't super low. I like to start with clients, I like to start clients with a 350 calorie drop from over 2000 calories and then continue to lower calories from there if needed. So most clients, again, depending on the woman, I like for them to be over 2,000 calories because it is a lot more forgiving on their system and psychologically so that they're not dropping calories so low right off the bat. So say if they're dropping from 2,000 calories or 2,100 calories, their first drop of calories is going to be around 17 to 1,800. That's pretty good. That's a good amount of food still. And especially if we can elicit a weight loss, especially initially, that's going to be a really good, comfortable place to be. And now we will probably need to decrease calories from there. It's very unlikely that we're going to be able to sustain that at 1,700 calories. But again, that's such a good, comfortable, cushiony place to be within that first drop. 
So then once we hit our lowest calorie amount, I start implementing cardio at the minimum effective dose possible. So basically that means if I can try to have someone drop in the scale with only two days of cardio for 15 minutes, that's what I'm going to do. So it's effective, but it's minimal. I'm not programming seven days of cardio right off the bat because that doesn't allow us any flexibility to then add anything more, say if they stall out. So then every two, one to two weeks, I'll increase the time, days, and intensity depending on how the scale is responding and how sustainable it is for the client. That is the biggest thing too because everyone's schedule and everyone's needs are going to be different. If someone works 40 to 50 hours a week and they have kids, likely they are not going to be able to do five days of cardio plus an hour of weight training, and that cardio session is 30 minutes long. We just have to have a realistic conversation in understanding that if we push harder, that person's going to become more stressed, which is going to hinder weight loss to begin with. So that might be the end of that weight loss phase, and that's totally okay. If we have continued to see progress, then that might be a good halftime spot. So then we pull back into maintenance, give that person a break, maybe for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever that is good for them, and then put them back into a weight loss phase and see if we can try to shed a little bit more. So during this time, it's also important to do two things. Weigh yourself daily to see weekly average fluctuations to see if your weight is trending down. Eat mostly whole foods to prioritize high energy giving foods and fibrous foods to keep up with daily bowel movements. So the reason why we want to weigh ourselves daily is so we have more data. When we have a good amount of data, we can see more patterns happening and we can see why maybe one day uh, there was a huge weight shift up, right? Maybe there was a three pound increase But because we have so many other data points and consistencies and food logs, I can go into someone's food log and see what the difference was, see what the different foods they were consuming, see what time they ended up eating, see what their day actually looked like in terms of their habits that they did or didn't hit. And with all of the data points, we can determine, okay, this was just a fluke. This was because of this specific reason. And now moving on, we know to avoid that or we need to add something in to help kind of mitigate that a little bit more. And eating mostly whole foods, I mean, this should be across the board, but it has to be a higher priority because less calories are being consumed. So you just don't have a lot of wiggle room to have foods that don't have a lot of nutrient density to them. We don't want calorie-dense foods that don't have nutrients in them. So like a muffin or cereal or, you know, stuff like that. So a weight loss phase, you know, realistically, isn't usually a walk in the park. It requires focus, 90 to 100% consistency and accuracy. And sacrifice with intense training, macro tracking, and hitting targets, limiting or restricting alcohol, that's kind of a big one, 
going to bed early, restricting calorie-dense foods that have minimal nutritional value, like I just said. And there's plenty of things that can throw your body into stress and inflammation and ultimately hinder progress moving forward. Remember, stress is king and it can absolutely stall your progress and there are a lot of things that can increase stress. And remember, there's two different types of stress too. There's acute stress, which is kind of what exercise can do to us, which is actually good for us. And then there's chronic stress. But chronic stress is the thing that is very easily tacked onto. So for example, lack of sleep. If you're someone that sleeps six hours a night, but you do that every single night, that creates chronic stress. If you continue to decrease food too low, if you have nutrient deficiencies, and sometimes when you go into a deep calorie deficit, it's important to make sure that you're supplementing with good quality supplements to help mitigate those nutrient deficiencies. Alcohol is a big one. That is a toxin to our body. And when we're already a sensitive system while we're in a calorie deficit, alcohol can have a really, really big effect. Medications can also do this to us because it actually decreases our stomach acid, making it a lot harder to actually digest food and also absorb it. And then the general lifestyle stress, right? Work, family, scheduling, (laughs) just a chaotic life is just compounding over time with that chronic stress. There are also a lot of signs that our body starts signaling to us if it needs more calories. So the biggest red flags that I see are you're no longer losing weight on the lowest amount of calories and highest energy output. Your sleep starts to suffer. You're irritable, moody, and emotionally inconsistent. You're starving constantly and fall into binge episodes. You start to have gut issues, hormone issues, and changes in your period, or you miss a period altogether, and then maybe don't get it back for a long period of time. We see this a lot in bodybuilding. You start to gain weight. Your performance in the gym starts to diminish drastically. The weights you use during easy training days feel heavy, you're always sore, and you can't recover. Now, something that is totally normal while you're in a calorie deficit when it comes to training is that your performance likely won't increase much. There will be times where you might be able to go up and maybe accessory exercises for your weight, but most of the time when we're looking at your heavy compound movements like squats, deadlifts, RDLs, leg press, those kinds of exercises or, or bench press and overhead press as well, you likely won't see much strength increases, but that's not to say that it, it won't happen altogether. It's very dependent on the person and also the training age of the person. So if you've been training for a long period of time, you've gone through multiple calorie deficits, maybe this is you know in the middle of your calorie deficit, you likely will probably stay the same in most of your exercise loads. If you're newer and you're new to also weight training and a calorie deficit, you'll likely still see some increases because those are technically like newbie gains anyway. So any increase of stimulus is going to increase strength. So most women shouldn't drop below 1,400 to 1,500 calories depending on the woman. 
Smaller women might be able to drop lower than this, but it's immensely important to keep an eye on signs and labs to make sure all is working optimally. If you're not already, again, you need to track your food during this time as well. Otherwise, it'll be very hard to know if you're eating the exact amount of calories and carbohydrates, protein, and fats. Something I hear a lot of is how many calories are burned via Apple Watch or other measuring device, and these are just wildly inaccurate <laughs> in measuring this. So the biggest thing to follow is your weight and signs of optimal functioning, like sleep, bowel movements, mood, etc. So your biometrics. A weight loss phase can last for as long as the person stays healthy, takes time out of the deficit with diet breaks and refeed days, and progress is still happening. A healthy rate of loss is 0.5 to 1% of your body weight per week, which is also why it's important to weigh yourself on a daily basis because we want to see that average go down. So if that slows down or is too much, you may need to adjust. So if it's over 1% or if it starts to really start to stall out, you'll need to make some adjustments to your plan. But this phase can't also can't last forever because at some point your body will start fighting back and adapting to this low calorie amount as its new maintenance, right? We talked about that from the very beginning. Our body does a really, really great job at keeping us alive. It helps us survive. It adapts. And so whatever we're telling it, whatever signals we're telling it, it will adapt to that. So if we're signaling that less energy is coming in and more energy is being expended, your body will adjust to that. It will start to recognize that that is its new maintenance and it needs to preserve us. So it keeps our weight the same. That's why making changes and adjustments and having lots of data points is super, super important. Because again, if our body shows signs that it's starting to slow down and starting to adapt, we need to make changes. So my biggest piece of advice, if you're new to any of these phases, you need to hire a coach. I highly, highly recommend it. There are plenty of things to be adjusted and to look out for that can be overwhelming if you're not educated and experienced with this stuff especially. Getting weekly feedback during any of these is incredibly helpful when you're feeling unmotivated, you fall off track, feeling like you've hit a plateau, have signs that something isn't right. In each of these phases, the details change and adapt depending on the person because there are no one-size-fits-all approach to this process, and you can absolutely try and do this on your own, but also keep in mind, even coaches have coaches for a reason. So that is it for this episode. Hopefully this was helpful and eye-opening with enough information to help discern which is which in your health journey and allow you to make the decision on trying to maybe come out of a calorie restriction and staying at maintenance for a little bit longer than what you are originally comfortable with. So again, if you have any questions, please message me on social media or email me and I'll be happy to direct you in the right direction. Have a good day. 
So that concludes this episode. Thank you so much for listening, supporting this podcast and me. If you found this to be helpful and you know someone else who would benefit from this information, please share it with them or on your social media. And if you have a second, please hit follow and give this a five-star rating so I can reach more people who need to hear this. Until next time, stay fired up about your health and fitness, and I'll see you in one week for our next episode.